Come on. What a great day to be in church. Hey, turn to somebody and say, you're looking good. Hopefully you're connected to that person, either romantically or as a friend, and it's not weird when the pastor says, turn to somebody and say something. What a great moment in God's presence. What a great time to be together. Hey, I don't say it all the time, but uh, I love you guys a lot. Love you guys so much. And uh, man, I love, I love our church. I love the fact that we are on a journey of faith together. I love the fact that we're doing this together and uh, having a good time. One of the things my dad always said was that we want to sing while we march. Because we have a mission, don't we? We're here to make disciples. We're here to make an impact in the city. But that doesn't mean we can't be full of joy and full of the life of the Holy Spirit. And uh, my prayer is that every week at Joy Church, whether that's on a Sunday morning, you're going to have that today, and whether that's at Joy Group or whether that's serving in a project at a school or whatever it is that you're doing as a part of Joy Church, that every time you kind of leave an atmosphere with your brothers and sisters, that you would be filled with joy and encouraged. And I believe today you're going to be encouraged through this message and uh, walk out of here a little bit closer to Jesus, maybe a little bit full of donuts and so on and so forth. Uh, Man, so good to be with you guys today. As you know, we started last week a brand new series called Starving, and uh, starving is not something I have a lot of experience with. In fact, I'm, I'm really more familiar with the other side of it, which is being full. Uh, and that's probably um, personal for me, but also probably for us as a society, as a culture, we're used to being pretty full, aren't we? We're used to kind of getting what we want when we want it, kind of going to the max. And uh, starving is not something that we're necessarily uh, familiar with, which is okay. Uh, it's good to be blessed. It's good to be full. It's good to have a big feast and all of that. But as we talk about this word starving, we're not really wanting to be physically starving or starving really in other, any area of life. We want to just be starving for God. We want to be hungry for more of Him. We want to be desperate for more of God. This is something that we have to wrestle with because we have these natural sort of tendencies and inclinations, which aren't always bad. And I talked about this last week, but there's something about saying, I'm going to empty myself so I can make space for God. And that's what we're talking about Today, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about fasting. Fasting is one of those scary religious words, but really what it means is to abstain. I'll say it this way, that fasting is simply saying, God, I'm more hungry for you than for the things of this world. Fasting is the act of denying our natural desires and intentionally emptying ourselves so that we can be filled with God's presence and say, like John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so today, as we talk about decreasing ourselves and kind of starving ourselves in this metaphorical way, uh, what we're talking about is creating space, making room for God to fill. I love what we talked about last week, which is that when we talk about fasting, whether we're giving up food or we're giving up social media or we're giving up whatever it may be that we're giving up. For me, I just, because it's such an idol, it's physical exercise. I mean, like biking, hiking, running. I mean, for me, I'm just such a freak about it that I'm just giving it up. I'm saying, Lord, this is for you. It's a sacrifice. Like Abraham, I bring Isaac to the altar. And for me, that's exercise. And I lay it on the altar. It's before the Lord. It's a burnt offering. No. Okay. But fasting, it's about creating space for God. And so today we're going to talk about margin, not margarine, margin, creating space, creating some white space. Now you can tell the people that understand margin and those that don't, really at Thanksgiving. Uh, I love Thanksgiving. It's a great holiday. It's like the perfect quintessential American holiday because it's about stuffing your face. So it fits us really well, you know, and 
You go to Thanksgiving dinner and you have some people that get margins. They have like sovereign borders between the mashed potatoes and the, and the turkey. How many of you are like that? You know, you have it all divided. It grosses you out when it's all mashed together. Raise your hand if that's you. It's okay. Hey, you're good. Nope, no worries. Now, if you're the kind of person that's like, get it all together. Come on. Raise your hand, right? And there's more of us like that. Okay. Uh, just smushing it all together. Margins are those spaces between. I remember one time I had a conversation with Bethany. We, we've had the honor and privilege to work together professionally, even as a married couple. We worked together before we were married, and we work together now. We, we kind of work together, you know, life together, everything together. And uh, people always ask us, like, how do you guys do that? How does that work as a married couple? And we're like, well, we've just kind of always done it. But every once in a while, the borders sort of cross each other between work and life. And so I remember one time, this is about 12 years ago, I think, Bethany and I were working as the intern directors, directing a Bible college down in Medford at Joy Medford. And we were really, I was frustrated one night about something going on with a student, and, and I was kind of giving Bethany some, you know, correction or whatever, like, which is stupid right there as a husband, you know, but like, <laughs> how many of you know guys like, mm, you got to back off? Anyways, uh, it was about midnight, so we're laying in bed, right, probably watching Netflix or whatever, and we're laying in bed, and it's coming up on midnight, and I, I decide that this is now the moment to have a staff meeting. <laughs> and I'm seeing her getting more and more upset. And, you know, guys, we kind of watch our wives, and we're like, left? No, no, she's upset, right? And then we can't, ladies, we don't know what you're thinking, okay? So, but we kind of can feel it a little bit. It's like a weather vane, the wind, you know? We're trying to feel the, what's going on here. And so I can tell, I thought I was sailing into a nice southerly warm wind, but I was not. It was a northern Guster, you know, it was coming at me. And she's getting upset, and I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, Jake, you need to understand margins. This is inappropriate. Like, I'm trying to go to sleep, and you're bringing up this work stress in bed at midnight on like a Tuesday night or whatever it was. How many of you know that was a margin mistake, right? Not, not understanding, I need to leave some space. So margins matter. They're probably the least exciting part of life. Uh, really. I mean, but they're also one of the most important parts of life. Margin are the shoulders on the side of the road, right? You, when, you, when you go, uh, I don't know how many guys make this joke when you see the no shoulder or shoulders out and you go, ooh, in the car, you know, or when you see the congestion ahead and you cough and your wife's like, stop, you know. Anybody? You're just going to leave me hanging, guys? Thank you, Justin. You're a man of God man of honesty, integrity. Margins are the shoulders on the road. Margins are the sidelines. I watch a fair bit of college football, and it's scary when all of a sudden a player comes flying out of bounds and crashes into some unsuspecting person on, on the sideline. I was watching the game the other day, and one of the guys that's keeping people off the field at the end, you know, he wasn't facing the action. He was facing the crowd, and the football player came right by him, and the, the man almost lost his life. He did not know it. But there's a reason there's all these, this space around the field. It's the, the margin. It's the sidelines. Margin is the silence the, between the sounds of the song. Anybody like Sting and the police, right? I, I used to, when I was growing up and kind of developing music appreciation, I would listen to Sting. And, and uh, one time I heard him talk about the fact that the most important part of a song is not the notes, but it's the space between the sounds, the space between the notes. That's margin. It's the white space around the letters on a page. So it's kind of boring. It's not the thing that people celebrate, but it's very important. It's vital. And spiritually, margins really matter. Making space, again, not just to have space, but for God to fill. 
Jesus was the margin master. Jesus had so much success in his ministry. When we talk about Jesus, and yes, we want to be like Jesus, but if you, as a disciple of Christ, as a follower of Jesus, and as a minister of the gospel, I mean, we want to attain to the standard he set. Jesus goes everywhere. He's preaching the gospel. People actually change. Their heart changes. Jesus goes around. He prays for the sick. They get healed. Jesus deals with people that have oppression and uh, demonic activity that's afflicting them in their mental state. They're demon-possessed even, and, and he casts out demons. Like, he's pretty amazing and all that success, it creates demands. You know, when I was 16, 17 years old, there was no demands on my time because I had no success. When you begin to do some things in life, you begin to maybe see some success in whatever it is that you're doing, then all of a sudden the demands go up. Do you find that as you get promoted and as you kind of build your family and the things that happen, that all of a sudden the demands increase? Well, think about Jesus, the demands and the press for his presence, for his time because of his success. But it says in Luke 5.15, it says, But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. And then the next verse, so powerful, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. When Jesus was faced with the demands of his success, when he was faced with the demands of his position, rightfully so, even things that were, that were demonstrating that what he had preached about and what he was here to do was actually succeeding, his response was not to lean into the moment, it was to withdraw into margin. And I think we can learn something very powerful from this example. Jesus had the wisdom to make space. It requires wisdom to make space because we live in a culture that ignores margins in the pursuit of maximization. We live in a, in, a, in a season of life, in a time, whether that's just our Western culture or our moment right now in history, but it, it's all about maximizing everything. We want to maximize how big of a house we can get. We want to get a better car. Even though the car we have does just fine, we want the latest and the greatest. This is, this is kind of how we are. And again, it's not bad to want something bigger or better or whatever, but it's, it's what we do as a culture. Career, I need to make more money. Uh, when I was a young guy and I was getting ready to buy my first property, uh, I remember talking to the, the mortgage officer, the mortgage guy, and I'm on the phone with him, and he said something that even in the moment I realized was, was kind of crazy, because here I am, I was 19 years old. This was back in 2005 or six, right before the subprime mortgage crisis. So I was one of those subprime mortgage <laughs> receivers. <laughs> I never lost it, but that was good. But I, there's no reason ever that a bank should loan a 19-year-old kid $200,000 with $1,000 down. But I remember going on the phone and talking to the officer, the mortgage officer, and he said, hey, let's see how much, how much we can stretch and how much house you can stretch for or get. And I'm, and I'm now as, a, as a, a little bit, just a little bit more mature, a little bit more seasoned guy, I realized that how foolish that was. Not just for him, but for me, for everyone, for the bank that loaned me the money. Now, I didn't default, so that's great, but probably should have. I mean, like, <laughs> it was crazy. But it was all about maximizing. Let's, let's stretch it to the max. And I think it comes from this belief, this idea that I can have it all. I can have the perfect job, the perfect marriage, the perfect spiritual life, the perfect this. I can get it all. I can get more. I can get the perfect abs. I've given up on that. But, you know, some of you are still in pursuit of this. But what happens when you get hurt? What happens when you hurt your knee and you can't run up the mountain every day? What happens when 
your kids need you more time and the career is calling for you, but your family's calling. What happens when you detect in yourself a dryness and a dissatisfaction with the things of God and you no longer care, you no longer are passionate or desperate for God and you realize I'm, I'm, I'm actually dying spiritually and I need to give some time and attention, affection to God, and, but I have this and this and this and it's all pulling me side to side. See, that's what margins are there for. They're there for when you get pressed. They're there for when, you, when things don't go according to plan. But we still believe into this idea of I can have it all. I don't have to give up anything. I can just have it all. And that's not really the case. There are really two big lies when I think about this that I think I fall into, and maybe you do as well. Two things that I believe in that, that lead me astray, uh, two myths I would call them, that lead to burnout. The first one is balance. We have this idea, well, if I could just get everything in balance. It's like the guy who can, who can spin three plates, but then he can't spend 30. But we think, no, 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 it's just about more balance. So I'll, get my, I'll make sure I'm there on Sundays, and I even serve on a team, and so I kind of have the plate of my spiritual life that I feel is kind of spinning, and then I get my career, and it starts spinning over here, and now my marriage, and, and I'm just getting better at balance. At some point, there's too many plates. But we believe this myth of balance. And how many of you have read books about balance? I just get my life in balance. As if you say it softer, it makes it you know, work better. I, I've had conversations with Bethany where I have, you know, at one point, I think I had like four companies that I was working on. This is recent. I had started all these businesses, and I'm like, babe, I just need to get it in balance. If I say it softer, it works better. I just need to get my life more in balance. You know, play an Enya song at the same time. It Lord, like adds to it. Like, the reality is that I had too much on my plate. So it wasn't about balance. And then we have this other idea. Well, if I can't get it all in balance, then what, what I have to do is I have to get better. So I just have to get better at time management, better at money management, better at Bible reading plan, better at marriage, better at parenting, better at work, better at sports, better at Xbox. Better, 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 better. Because if I get better, I can keep it all in balance. And what happens when we are all focused on balance or we're all focused on better or both is we end up burned out. Because the answer wasn't to add more stuff and the answer wasn't to get better. The answer was actually to empty out and make some space in your life. Now that's a practical message, but it's also spiritual because margins are there to protect the most valuable asset you have, the, the core of your identity, the core of what God is doing in you. It's your soul. Jesus said this, and it should, this should kind of scare us a little bit, okay? So this should, this should like sober us up a little bit. He says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And he asks a rhetorical question then that the answer is implied. He says, is anything worth more than your soul? And the implied answer to that is what? No. Because without a soul with a huge, huge bank account, but no soul, you're not rich. With great abs, but no soul, you're an Instagram influencer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> with the perfect job, with the perfect marriage, with whatever, the, you know, whatever it is that you balance and, and, and better, whatever you've earned for yourself or whatever place you've carved out without your soul, Jesus says, hey, if you get to where you wanted to go, but you don't have that core of who you are, your soul is messed up. You didn't win, you lost. And that's something so meaningful because it's not just practical, it's spiritual. These things that we do in life, the decisions we make with our money, the decisions we make with our time, 
the decisions we make to commit to certain things and not commit to others or whatever, it comes down to a soul issue. And so margins are so valuable. I want to talk today about three margins that we need to create, three margins that we need to create in our life. And again, just so we understand, this is not just like a self-help message. The, the margins that we're creating, at least for my purposes today, I, I want us to create margins so that God can fill it, so that there's space in our life where we can breathe, where, where we're not just so overwhelmed and tired and stressed and burned out that trying to pursue everything and fit Jesus into the cracks and the crevices of whatever's left over, but we create a life that actually is holistically well. You know, the, the Hebrew word shalom means peace, but it, it means more than that. It means like holistic wellness, like everything is okay, even if everything isn't okay. And that, I think, is the portion of a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus never said, if you follow me, you'll have a perfect, easy life. You'll get all the money you need, and you know, you'll never have any struggles or trials or tribulations. He actually said the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But peace I give to you, my peace I give to you, my shalom, wellness, even in the midst of the storm. And so followers of Jesus, we should have this sense of, man, it's, it's good. It's okay. Uh, not because everything's perfect, but because I have him, and he has me, and I have this relationship with God. And I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I know what's happening here. But that comes, I think, out of this place of margin, creating a life that is going to be more enjoyable in the natural things, but also create space for God. So number one margin we need to create is the margin of focus. Focus is about eliminating options. When I think about focus, I often think about looking at something, and that is what it means, but actually it really means to remove everything else, to to eliminate the options. John Maxwell said this, you cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. <laughs> I love it. You cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. So funny, whatever I get into, I, I am kind of an obsessive person, and so I go into the minutia. I go into the granular. I go into the, the detail, and you realize in the middle of all that minutia is not more clarity, it's more muddled. You know, and, and, and like even football and sports, I've been listening to the Twitter spaces. Anybody crazy like me on the duck Twitter spaces? You know, you, and these people are on there talking. I told Bethany, now we're not even talking about duck football. They're just talking about going skiing and like their emotions about duck football. I'm like, we're not even talking about like first down, second down. We're, we're, we're so deep that we've completely lost ourselves. Focus is about saying, hey, let's, let's, let's zoom out. Let's get out. Let's eliminate options. And let's look at the, the, the few things that are actually important. And real focus brings so much freedom. When you're able to say, I don't need to look at that, I don't need to look at that, I don't need to look at that, so much freedom. We have this word in the English language that we use, the word priorities. This is something that I say, and I've heard, I've heard you say it, just whoever you are, I've heard you say it. Priorities. The word priorities was actually uh, created... Uh, in the 1900s at the Industrial Revolution, the word priority, which means the thing that is of utmost importance, the first thing was uh, created in the 1400s, and it, for, for 500 years it was just used that way. This is my priority. This is the thing that is of importance to me. This is my focus. This is what I'm doing. This is the thing. Then in the Industrial Revolution, they came up with this thing called priorities, where it's like we can have multiple most important things. N no. <laughs> Just because we can create a term for something doesn't mean it's real. I'll let you just apply that to so many things in our world today. Just because we can add semantic to something doesn't, it doesn't make it a real thing. 
priorities doesn't exist. It's priority. Something is always number one. Something is number two. And it's kind of an easy answer to this. This is like in Sunday school when the teacher says, what's your, uh, what's the answer to the question? It's Jesus always. Who loves you? Jesus. Who died for your sins? Jesus. Who's coming back for you? Jesus. You know, who should be number one priority in your life? Jesus. God. We, we know that, but yet we still think priorities. I have my church priorities. I have my work. I have my marriage. It doesn't mean they're not all important things. No, they are. But something has to own number one place, number one prime position. Some biblical examples of this, uh, Jesus in Matthew 6, said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. He wasn't saying priorities. He was saying priority and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Jesus says, you want to order your life in a correct manner that will allow you to have margin and getting this, this focus thing correct is start with the kingdom of God. Start with who God is, what God is about, what he's asking of you. Organize your life around that reality and then everything is going to fall into place. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 said, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So it's about focus. I, I lean into one thing. The margin of focus is a beautiful gift. It creates freedom because what it says is something is most important. Now, not trying to like make this overly abstract, if we would just put God first in our life, and I mean, when I say put God first, I don't mean like, again, in an abstract way, philosophically, I put God first. No, like when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is be with Jesus. Does that make sense? No? Okay. So when you wake up in the morning, I have to be honest with you, I always get coffee first. So maybe my priority is Java, but it's just really to help me connect with Jesus more. So I get up in the morning and I go and make a cup of coffee. I sit down in my leather chair. I turn on the fireplace and I open up the Bible or I listen to the Bible and I listen to God and what he's saying. And I say, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Because I want the first thing to be God. Because I know if I'm first, if, and, and, and guys, I mess this up all the time. So you hear me say this, oh, Pastor Jake is so holy, he's a pastor. No, probably five out of seven times I get on my phone first and I'm like, ducks or, you know, whatever. How are my stocks doing? You know, stuff that doesn't even matter. And like, but, the, but I know this is what should be. I should, I should get up and meet with God. And, th and that is the, the trajectory of my life, you know, the majority. I get up and I put that time in with God. Because I know if I put myself at the center, if I start focusing on me or the stuff I'm about, my day goes worse. It just goes worse. If, 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 if I put myself first, I end up more dissatisfied with even when I win. I mean, it just, everything goes worse. My marriage is worse. My parenting is worse. Like God has to be number one. It's like that fundamental and basic. With my time, with my attention, what do I do first? Who's first in my day? Who's first in my finances? People go, oh, church just wants your money. You guys, God will take care of Joy Church even if you have a rotten, nasty, greedy heart. God wants to transform you from the inside out so that your money says God is first. And when you put God first in your money, which means tithing to your local church, not to whatever charity you decide or whatever, but like to the local church that you go to, 
I was talking to a, a young businessman the other day, and he's like, oh, I was just thinking about tithing. Like, I don't really know if I should tithe to. It wasn't even our church. It was a different church. If I should tithe to this church, and I was like, yes, you should. Well, what are they going to do with the money? That doesn't matter. What if they went and spent it all on clown shoes? It doesn't matter. <laughs> because the principle is not that you're helping them be smarter to manage their money. The principle is you put God first in your money the way he said in the Bible, God comes first. Whether it's your time, whether it's your money, whether it's your anything, he just comes first, okay? And when we, when we just don't try to outsmart this, God moves into our stuff. Bethany and I have never, ever, ever, ever struggled financially because we overgave. Because our generosity was too great or our tithing, giving 10%, giving God the first place. Okay, so God comes first. Somebody say first. The second margin that we want to create is uh, the margin of time. The margin of time. In our culture of maximization, we wear busyness like a badge of honor. I love going to pastor's conferences and I'll be like, hey, what's up, bro? How you doing? And they're like, I'm so busy. Oh, me too, man. I'm busy, 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 busy. You ever go to places and you're like, how you doing? I'm so busy. As if like, look at me, I'm in high demand. Did you know that being busy doesn't mean you're good at life, it means you're bad at it. Being busy means you are inefficient. <laughs> Being busy means you haven't prioritized things, right? You haven't put the priority in the right spot. You haven't made the list. You haven't focused enough. Like, you haven't created margin. So whenever I tell people I'm just so busy, what I'm admitting is I'm bad at managing my own life. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek. I, I know we get busy. If you have children, you know, they have all things going side, left and right, whatever. We can't just, like, you know, live on a mountaintop or whatever. But, like, I understand that there is busyness in life. But if we take this take the, the truth out of what I'm saying here tongue-in-cheek and having fun with. Busyness is not this badge of honor. Uh, scientifically, it's been proven, there's been studies into this, that we underestimate the time that it takes to get stuff done, just ordinary time. Uh, Bethany and I have, have realized this because she'll say, hey, Jake, it's um, this is every Sunday morning. This is our thing. I get up like ungodly early time and, and like I decide I'm going to write some emails and do some work. And she's like, hey, it's 7.15. It's and I'm like, hey, thanks, babe. Love ya. And then she's like, Jake, 720. I'm like, I'm good. Because in the back of my mind, I think like I can take a shower, get dressed, brush my teeth, eat breakfast, and be ready in five minutes. And that is simply not the case. It takes me a lot longer. How many of you know, right? With children, we're like, okay, we got the kids got 30 minutes. We can get some cereal into them. Cap and Crunch is ready to rock. We'll just toss them in their clothes and we'll toss them in the car. And then your kid has an emotional breakdown no matter what, about like, they don't want to wear their shoe on the right foot. <laughs> we gotta go, you know? It's, and so margin of time. So we realized at one, at one point, we, we have to give ourselves more margin of time in life because things fill time up. So let me give you an action step for this. Just use what, what's called the 50% rule to create margin. So 50% rule says... Add 50% more time to everything. So if you think something takes 10 minutes, give yourself 20. If you think something takes an hour, give yourself two. And whatever that is, what this is going to force you to do is realize that we try to stuff things in. We were going on a trip recently, and, and I noticed my son's backpack was literally bursting. Not, not metaphorically bursting. It was literally bursting. The zipper was breaking it was splitting because he had stuffed all his clothes in and he decided to stuff his like comforter and then he was trying to shove a pillow in there and I think a Nintendo Switch, you know what I mean? And that, 
the backpack was literally, ah, it was screaming in agony. And that's, an, that's a picture of what we do with our time. Because we think, I can have it all, and if I'm better or I'm balanced, then it works, and it doesn't. So add 50%, and what that'll force you to do is create a margin of time, because you'll realize, I can't do all this, not and be healthy, not have a good soul, not have a relationship with God and a relationship with people and not be a psychopath. Like, I actually have to create some margin of time. Number three, we need to create the margin of rest. God instituted rest and blessed it. In Genesis chapter 2, says, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, basic theology, we know that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He is transcendent above all time and space and creation. So why does he need to take a break? God doesn't take a smoke break. He doesn't need to clear his head. He doesn't, he doesn't need to rest in the sense that we need to rest, but God chooses to rest to demonstrate to us that it's meaningful. And that rest is also not something you do purely because of utility, but it's also a place of life that adds to the beauty of the experience of life as God created it. Think about this. When you think about rest as pure utility, I just rest because of I have to, then you're missing out on the beauty that God wove rest as a part of life that we're meant to enjoy. It's like the person that tells me I only eat to, you know, to fuel my body. Well, I eat for pleasure, purely. <laughs> you know, people, I only sleep, you know, because I would die if I didn't. Well, like, why don't you just sleep in? Because you're over to the top here, buddy. You know, take a break sometimes. But God... He, he rested because we need to rest and, and because he's demonstrating to us the beauty of what rest is. Rest is intentional inactivity, not idleness or laziness. It's recharging from meaningful work and for meaningful work. Rest is a part of a life that God put in, put part of the package that we're meant to enjoy. Real rest can only take place in a posture of humility. This is a revelation that God had to work in my heart over in a, a period of time ago. It was like I was realizing that I was so arrogant that I thought if I take a break, everything's going to fall apart as if there isn't a God who actually was keeping everything going already before I was here and will be keeping things together after I'm not here. And so I had to humble myself and say, it's okay for me to take a break. Like the church won't fall apart. I can just go to Mexico and sit in a hot tub and not worry about everything, and I don't have to think about everything all the time. And how many of you struggle with this? It's like if I take a break, my family falls apart. If I don't do, if I'm not 110%, which is fake, you know, then it all falls apart. Rest, it says, I'm not God. Requires humility and trust. He's got this. Rest is the antidote to stress. We think work is. We think I'm so stressed because I have all this work, so I need to work harder. Actually, you need to rest because rest disarms stress. Rest says, God has this. I'm humble. I'm not in control. I'm going to rest. I'm going to step back. I'm going to let myself rest. And then God can step into these places and give me the right things to do, the priority, so I can move something forward or he can move something forward. So here's an action step to create the margin of rest in life. Schedule rest the same way you do tasks. I don't know about you, but I have my little calendar in my phone and I put my appointments and 
stuff in there? What if you were like, hey, this is time to rest? And you started to say, I'm going to give myself two hours on a Saturday, or I'm going to do this or that. Maybe you call it a Sabbath. Maybe you don't. But what if you put it into your schedule because you knew that rest is a part of the beauty of life that God ordained, and you need it. And it will actually improve your work. Not working more, but resting and letting God work in that space. Put it in your calendar. Put it in your day planner. The margin of focus is saying, I'm going to eliminate some focus on things. I'm going I'm to have a priority. I'm going to put God first in my life and let him ordain and then order the rest of my life, my vocation, my relationships. Let God sort of speak into that because he takes the primary place. The margin of time as I begin to create some space in my schedule. I might start to say no to some things as I'm focusing and realize things take me longer. I need to leave some space and margin in my time and then the margin of rest. That even in my soul and my physical body, I need to take some time off intentionally being inactive, stepping away from work, stepping away from ministry, stepping away from whatever it is that you're trying to achieve and saying, God, fill the space that I've created in this margin. Would you minister to me? Would you work in me in this rest? And ultimately what happens is we begin to feel our soul begin to breathe again. Um, Probably the thing I notice the most about our culture as a pastor and just as a disciple of Jesus is that we're like overwhelmed and how many of you have ever said, I'm overwhelmed, this is overwhelming, I'm, it's too much, it's like I can't take it anymore, you know? I even hear my kids say those words sometimes, and I'm like, what do you mean you're overwhelmed? <laughs> I pay all your bills. But, <laughs> but they're, they're tuned into, they're tuned into something, because it is an overwhelming world. It's overwhelming. It's too much, and it's too much because we, we aren't the dad or the mom, we're the kids, and God is dad. And, and, and we're overwhelmed and overburdened. And I think when I talk to people, what I realize is, man, what we need to do is not like work harder or be better or whatever. We need to like create some space and let God come in and actually do what he wants to do in us. This is the beautiful promise of the gospel. And this is for you, for me, for all of us, for anybody that wants it, that wants Jesus. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. In Christ, we should have this shalom, this wellness, this peace, this space. And so the challenge for us as we go into this series, and we're in this season, we're starting this fast today, and this series called Starving is let's make some space that God can come in and fill, and let's, let's get refreshed. Let's get, we're not striving to get closer to God. We're actually creating space, working less hard so he can come in and move in those margins. Sound good? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are a God of rest, that you did your work. You said, this is good, and then you said, it's time to rest. Lord, that you create this place of rest, this place of peace, this, this place of trust and humility, But Lord, as we create some space, we create some margin, whether that's in our focus or our time, our our, our money, Lord, our our hearts, wherever it is that we begin to create some margin that, God, you would come in and breathe your Holy Spirit into that space, that it would be filled with your grace, be filled with your love, be filled with your peace, your shalom, your peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't hear this message and think, I need to go work harder on this, on working less hard. (laughs) But Lord, we wouldn't hear it as condemnation, we wouldn't hear it as a, 
as a correction of our behavior, but we would instead say, wow, I actually can let go of some stuff and not try to be all in balance or be better, but I can, I can step back and create some space and then let you do what you do. God, as we sang today, this is how I fight my battles. God, you go before us. You move in us and through us and around us, Lord. Open our hearts to you today, God. We love you and we thank you for who you are and what you're doing in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to just give a quick opportunity for anybody in this place that does not have a relationship with Jesus. Um, you, ha- you wouldn't say that you're a follower of Jesus. You haven't kind of trusted in him as your Lord and Savior. We just take a moment every Sunday to, to make an opportunity for you to start that journey. Now, being a Christian is not about praying a prayer on a Sunday morning. It's about following Jesus with your life, turning over the sovereignty of your life. We call that discipleship. Jesus says, come and follow me. But he saves you in that moment when you respond in faith. And so we create a moment every Sunday where anybody that wants to can say, I want to make that decision. I want to take that first step and receive what Jesus did for me at the cross. He paid for our sins. He offers us eternal life in him. And he offers us eternal life right now and forever. His peace right now and forever. Relationship right now and forever. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can see? Jake, I want to make this decision today. One, two, three, lift up that hand. Anybody in this place? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer together. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I put my hope and faith in you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for paying for my sins and making me right with God. Give me the grace to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.